Hello and welcome to another episode of the Eat Game Podcast. Good to be back with you. I'm Tom Evans. Uh, this is the show that supports the game meat industry and explores how versatile it really can be and how ethically produced game meat really is. So this is the second of our weekly podcasts, talking to some of the country's best-loved chefs. And today it's Michelin star chef, restaurateur, TV personality, and owner and head chef of Purnell's Restaurant in Birmingham, Glyn Purnell. Hi, Glyn. Hi, Tom. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much for your time. Where do we find you then today? Are you at home in Birmingham? Are you in the kitchen? Whereabouts are you? Well, I've just done a sweat session at the boxing gym and I've just landed in the chef's office about to do a 30 cup of lunch, to be honest with you. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of the hottest that we're recording this on one of the hottest days of the year. So, um, yeah. the fact you've done a sweat session now, going to head into a hot kitchen. Uh, how is How how do you find that when, it, when the heat gets like this? Because we're pretty much in a heat wave at the moment. It's got to be yeah. a pretty intense environment working in the kitchen. Yeah, I, do you know what? In, in a sort of sick sort of way, I quite enjoy it, if I'll be honest. I think, um, I think it's 30... 33 years of um, conditioning uh, just to get used to it, really. It does get slightly uncomfortable and in stages, but generally, I don't, I don't mind. We cook on a lot of electric and induction now, sort of eco way, so it's not as bad as it used to be on the old gas days. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's bearable. Uh, I like to try and keep the uh, the temperature of the kitchen quite cool as well, the way we talk to each other, the way we conduct each other. So that almost helps as well to have that bit of respect for each other, especially when it does get to these sort of temperatures but no i hope people are enjoying the sun as much as we're enjoying cooking in the uh, in the extremities for for, for, for the air con to uh, customers fabulous right okay um i know your time is precious so let's get into it uh, i'd like to sort of go back to the beginning if i can glenn you're so experienced yeah. as you said you know over 20 years working in this industry what was your what was your first experience of cooking uh, how far back can you can you take us and possibly cooking with my my mum. I remember one of the times when I was solely in charge of feeding my little brother and sister, and that to um, my mum said there's a loaf of bread. She actually had to go shopping, and my dad was out working, and she said, you know, there's a loaf of bread on the side. There's a, there's a couple of tins of beans. Do your brother and sister some beans on toast. I must have been about what about ten maybe, um, and you know, I fired up the beans. I put them on, then I I, put, I decided to, to make them a little bit more interesting. So I put some curry powder in there. And I stirred them and I put a, a knob of butter in there as well. And my little sisters, my little sister was looking up at me and saying, what's he doing? And then I poured the beans on top of the toast and I put grated cheese on. So I think that was my first real eye cooking on my own. Yeah. I mean, obviously I cooked with my mum and my dad when I, was, when I was a lot younger, but that was my first real experience of feeding, actually feeding somebody and actually taking charge of it myself. So, and actually one of my children's books, um, that my, my dog in the children's book, um, eats baked beans and curry powders and farts to fight crime. So that, that dish, that dish has found its yeah. way back to, to the front of, of what we do like. Yeah. So that was my first real big experience. Amazing. It's the, it's the dish that started it all, Glyn. Most, most definitely, yeah. And, and what was your first uh, paid job in the industry? Because I guess for anybody, you know, whatever career they, they start out in, getting that first paycheck is pretty exciting at that age. What was it for you? I was, uh, I was flipping burgers and washing uh, washing up and mopping the floor at the Metropole Hotel. Oh, really? So I was like 14. Uh, and that was my first. I went there for work experience and because I showed so much determination and interest, they sort of offered me a little job and I started doing two or three days uh, a week after school and, um, yeah, and, and it was, that was it. And I remember buying a pair, a pair of um, really 
baggy Joe Bloggs baggy jeans from the uh, from the Birmingham market with my first paycheck. Yeah, and they cost that much that I couldn't afford to go out afterwards. No. So I just sat at home. Brilliant. I just sat at home with my with my baggy jeans on, if I'm honest. So yeah. But at four, at fourteen years of age, did you know that this was the career that you wanted to get into, the industry you wanted to, to explore, or was it that first job that you thought, yeah, you know, I like this atmosphere and I like this this environment. No, I just, I just knew straight away. I, I knew straight away after about the third shift in the kitchen. I thought, this is for me. This is. And I found it without sounding big headed. I found it quite easy as well. I yeah. found it quite a natural place to be in. And I, I didn't mind the, the tempo of it. I didn't mind the, the heat. I didn't mind. I, and the hours didn't really bother me. So it was it was instant, really. And, and you know, never look back. I was in 33 years now. Wow. And, you know, it, it's. Yeah, it's, I still love it just as much. Don't get me wrong, my legs are ache a little bit quicker than I used to, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, still, I, still, I, still, I still love it. Yeah. And your first role as, as head chef was that in Jessica's in Edgbaston? Yes, right. Yeah. So I um I was the, the chef and I had sort of small shares in it. And um yeah, I had the free range to cook what I wanted. I just left Claude Bosey uh, Hibiscus, which we gained two stars. And before that, I was at, at uh, Simpson. So I felt that I'd had the practice and, and the sort of training as a sous chef. And that was my first head chef job yeah yeah and that and am i right in saying that jessica's was awarded michelin star the first one given to a birmingham restaurant is that right that's correct yeah, yeah. in uh, 2005 i think yeah it was the first star in birmingham and birmingham was renowned as being a bit of a culinary desert apart from balties and and sort of yeah that sort of stuff really yeah. the chain restaurants and it was the first restaurant to really make a national and international impact really which is phenomenal really how how important is it to you to get your hometown of birmingham on that sort of culinary map as it were because you could have quite well have you know been forgiven if you packed up headed to london where everyone else was going and, and try to make it there so how important is it that you stayed around birmingham and, and you've you know shouting from the rooftops food here is great and, and this is this is the place to be was well, one of the most important things about the journey really was the fact that you know i love the place and it's it's my home and, and, and I love the people and, and I do feel they had a massive food culture. I remember that working in the three-star Michelin restaurant that's out of France and the, the French waiter came out and says, there's something in the restaurant that sounds like you. And it was two Brummies eating in this three-star restaurant. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this was before I had Jessica, I thought to myself, there's definitely an interest for, for food and good food. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I just, I, you know, I wrote, um, um, I think uh, years ago, I was at school about what I wanted to be when I was older. And my dad took it out on my 40th birthday and he had on there, you know, I want to open a restaurant in Birmingham and feed businessmen and people in Birmingham. I want everyone to come to Birmingham to eat my food. And that's pinned up in my kitchen at home. And the day I stopped feeling about that, about food and my city, is the day I'll hang up the apron, if, I, if I'll be honest. Yeah, you've got a real passion for it. I mean, how was your background growing up in, in, in the outskirts of Birmingham? influenced your cooking today does it still have a theme running through your creations do you think it's definitely got um the roots it's definitely got my personality it's definitely yeah. got the essence of birmingham uh and it was a massive impact you know very multicultural uh lots of different cuisines and cultures to, to draw upon and, you know i had a friend in the indian families you know go and eat with them and Try the when I did competitions and stuff, close to borrow spices from their little spice rack because they're the proper authentic sort of seeds and stuff. So it's had a massive impact, and it, and it still does. I mean, I don't tend to be dragged into trends as much as as you know. I just try to be a, a better pernals rather than try to emulate what other people are doing. So it's sure. had a massive impact. That's a, I mean, that's a great lesson in life in all in all industries, isn't it? Be yourself, do your own thing, forge your own way. It's important exactly. to you, isn't it, to have a food philosophy? So, so what do you think yours is at Pernell's? 
Oh, uh, I like to think it's uh, it, it's got it's got ground it's it's grounded food, but then it's got hamburgers. So I like to try and show off a bit in certain areas of the menu. And then there's sometimes that philosophy of just great ingredients, great produce, know where it comes from, uh, trust your suppliers as much as they trust you, and then the customers will will feel that from 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 the field yeah. right up onto the plate, really. So even though we're a, a landlocked uh, city restaurant in the middle of the country, we still have got. The Cotswolds, we get fish direct from Cornwall. We get the game from, say, I say like Cotswold. We get a little bit from up north as well. So we try to um, to use as much as we can which is around us. But then, you know, we're in the middle, so we can we can dip and dip our toes in all sorts of parts of the country as long as it's British. That's the most important thing. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm trying to sort of describe your style of cooking. Would you say mostly British, but influences from all over the world? I mean, it's, it's, it's quite open that, but that that seems to be about right. Would you say? Yeah, I'd say it's called a British melting pot style of cooking. Um, yeah. You know, because obviously, you know, we still we still bang on about. I mean, people eat pizza every other day of the week. Chicken tikka masala is one of our favourites. You know, and we, we we tend to, you know, people that have migrated into the country, you know, have made their prints on the culinary scene, and and hope that continues. And you know, we've we've got foods from all over the world that have really ingrained into the British way of life, which is fantastic and makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah. And it's just your presentation uh, is is a huge part of what you do. You mentioned that you you're quite flamboyant with your food. You, you love to give your your customers an experience, don't you? Most definitely. I think you know when you it's, I think restaurants now are you know obviously the food has to be great and stuff, but also you know it's like going to the theatre. You have a tasting menu in a, in a you know, top restaurant now. You're there for you know three three and a half hours, and it's sort of like you know it's the way that the, the way it delivers it. It's the way the food is presented. It's the smells. It's all of the senses that really kick in throughout this three-hour experience and, and and then you've got the wines to go with it. I think it's yeah. all about the regalia of coming to a restaurant from having your coat taken to all the way down to the table. I mean, even the journey to the toilet at Pernal, you have to go all the way the long way around. You go down a corridor, which has got like a woodland theme, and you can we've got little speakers so you can hear the birds in the trees and stuff. Oh, fabulous. So... so, 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 so I mean, yeah. even, you know, even going to the toilet is, is, a, is a journey. It's just like, so but that's what people remember, though, Glee. I mean, it's it's odd, but I yeah. remember some of the nicest restaurants I've ever been to. You walk into the toilet, it's like, oh, this is great, this is cool. It makes a difference, and you know, we kind of joke about <laughs> yeah. it, but it's all part of it, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's about the staff having their own personality as well. It's you know, it's, you know, we always turn around and say we like to remove the pickle from your ass, as in the waiter. You know, <laughs> yeah. they stand there, you know, as if they're, they're about to be shot at dawn. You're like, you know, relax. You have your personality. You deliver the food the way that we want it to be served and you be part of the journey. It's not about when the food leads the, the, leads to the kitchen, it stops. Yeah, it, it has to continue all the way through to, to when the plate's clear. To, to, it's, about that, it's about that team, that machine, all of the small cogs spinning at the same time. And it's about experience and that's what I, I really try to deliver. I think a lot of restaurants can can learn from that. It's, it's a lovely ethos to have. Um, Glenn, let's get on to game meat. Uh, I'd love to get your views on yeah. this. So how prominent is game on your menus throughout the year. I mean, I guess it's seasonal, isn't it, at Pernell's? Yeah, it is. And I did, I mean, I've done a fair bit of um, stuff with, with the game world over the last, well, during the pandemic, really. I've been shooting. I, I live in an area where there's a lot of pheasants and partridge shooting at uh, Monk Jacks. Um, so that sort of drifts onto the menu with some of the local guys. Uh, Packington is a place not too far away, which we, we buy uh, Black Fallow off them. Partridges, obviously, partridge and pheasants are the season. I do try to use a bit of deer throughout the year. I need a, I need to do a little bit more research on what to use and when. 
um, which I think a lot of chefs do because we tend to leave some of the breeds right up until, you know, uh, November time. We have it on three months and then we forget about it. I think it's something that the, the you know, the culinary world needs to sort of look at. It's a sustainable, fantastic meat. Yeah. And I think it needs to be used a bit more, really. Do you think your your guests enjoy eating the game, appreciate its its taste and health benefits? They're not just there to eat it and great, they go home. Do you, you know, it's quite important to get that message across, especially for us at Eat Game. We're always banging the drum on how uh, how beneficial it is and how lean it is and how good it is for you compared to all these farm Yeah, meats. definitely. I think, I think for me, I think it's a little bit of um, education that we need to pass on to the customer yeah. from you guys as well as us. I mean, first and foremost, game is delicious. I mean, that's the first sort of thing you you've got to tell people and then you've got the health benefits the sustainability and and how good it is for the environment as long as it's controlled and uh, and better fat i think you know but also i think it's down to chefs and restaurants to be a bit more creative with game i think you know we've you know there's only certain types of game where people might go a bit off piece whereas i think you know yes you know grandadilla sauce with venison and, and, and you know bread sauce and and red currants is fantastic but you know, we can be a bit more creative. We can use that diversity of the UK to sing about game more. You know, so I use sometimes some Japanese flavours with with uh, with venison. I use some sort of um, Indian light Indian spices with, with partridge and pheasants. And I think that's another another fantastic sort of angle to try and introduce. We're trying continue showing people how fantastic game is. Yeah, I mean, there's something out there to suit every every palate. It's what I've always said about game. You know, from the fresh early season mm. partridge and grouse, maybe to the the slightly stronger venison and, and the other feathered feathered game later in the season. That's the beauty of it. Do you? Uh, I, I'm interested in your sort of experimental f- process with game. Uh, do you put time aside, or have you over the years put time aside to try different flavorings, to try different uh, fusions with with different meat, and then some don't work and some do work? Is that your process? Yeah, most definitely, because like you said, I mean, depending on time of year um, and what's in season, he's knowing how heavy-handed you could be with the seasoning or the spicing. I mean, like, for instance, mudjack is so light, you wouldn't tend to want to pair it with much heavy spice food or, or much, you know, over-seasons because it's quite a light meat. So it's a case about we get it in, we taste, uh, we taste the meat itself, and then we decide how we're going to basically lift the flavour of the game. You know, it's all about the game being the centre piece on the plate. So it's about what, what, you know, what can we put with it to make interesting stuff. For instance, I did um, a pheasant um, Maryland, which is with uh, sweet corn and deep fried banana. It sounds <laughs> ridiculous, but when you when you have the banana with it, because obviously chicken Maryland is normally the dish that have it, but because the, the, the pheasant's got a slightly more interesting flavour than chicken, it really works well with the sweetness and the bitterness of the banana and the corn. So... It's it's about being a little bit, well, a little bit more challenging to yourself yeah. and to the customer to, to yeah. make them think. Well, actually, that sounds like an interesting, you know, rather than a pheasant just with game crisps and bread sauce. It's like, wow, I might try that because that's not what I would normally have. And I try to lean on feathered game rather than putting chicken on because we can have chicken every day of the week, and we generally do. Yeah. And I think that's another message I try to put on is avoid putting that on and look at the feathered game. And some of the lighter game, rather than you know substituting it, using it instead of chicken, and make, making it a little bit more of it can be an everyday meat. It's, it's as tasty and it's it's you know it's as good for you as, as any meat really, and sustainable. So you know to have um, pheasant on a Wednesday shouldn't be so uh, it shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be so uh, shocking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, what you've yeah. had pheasant on Wednesday, <laughs> you know you can have it any day of the week, and 
you know, especially in that time of year when there's plenty around. I mean, it's economically and, and, and above all, it's just really tasty meat. So, yeah, it can be an everyday meat. Uh, have you chosen to use game on any of your TV appearances? Um, I'm just wondering about that. I mean, you know, when you're, you're cooking on telly, you kind of got to keep it as simple as possible. Have you thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to this show with this recipe? Yeah, definitely. I've done. I did the um, the pheasant Maryland with the with the banana stuff on Saturday kitchen in front of one and a half million people. I did uh, venison with sweet and sour parsnips and Swazian pepper. I did that on Saturday kitchen with pear. I'm as confident in using game as I am using beef and chicken. If I'm be honest, yeah. it, it doesn't phase me or worry me that people are, are going to say, oh, well, "Well, I don't like the sound of that because I've never eaten it." You haven't eaten it because you haven't experienced how good it is. So I do tend to. Um, want to use things as well rather than just going the generic here's a big giant fillet steak rather than you know here's some red deer with with the similar sort of flavors that that, that they can carry with beef so yeah tv um and i do uh cooking demonstrations at festivals and stuff and i've used all sorts of games so yeah it's it's yeah it's it's a fantastic product so why wouldn't i and it's fun to cook with is that what you find I think so. Yeah, it's, it, you know, if you've never cooked with it, and first of all, it may feel a little bit daunting for those home cooks out there. But you know, if you look at it and look at the, you know, as long as you can register the leanness of, it, I mean, that's obviously a positive side. But to some people, you know, adding a little bit more fat to like butter or a little bit of duck fat or or whatever, you can you can make it you can make it as juicy and as yeah. tasty as, as any meat, really. Yeah, there's things you can do, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting to get your insight on that and uh, how you used your game. Now, um, Glyn, each podcast in this sort of chef mini-series, we're going to finish the same way with our guests, a quick-fire round of questions designed to cut straight to the truth of your likes and dislikes. So no thinking time or as little as possible. Are you ready for these? Yeah, let's go. Let's All go. right, let's do it. Gravy or jus? Uh, ooh, jus. Ketchup or brown sauce? Uh, neither chili sauce <laughs> pigeon or pheasant uh, pigeon leg or breast leg carrots cut in battens or carrots cut in rings Ooh, I do like a batten <laughs> <laughs> chips or roast potatoes Ooh, uh, roast potatoes uh, choose just one of these to cook with for the rest of your life butter or olive oil oh, butter all day long. Okay. I'm British <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> chocolate dessert or cheese board cheese board first you have to gain yeah, definitely. Cocktail yeah. or a pint? A uh, cocktail. And finally, eat in or eat out, Glyn? Eat in. Eat Not, in. Uh, you know, when you when you live with a Michelin star chef, I'm like, I was trying to <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> Actually, can I just put a point? I said cocktail, so I just thought of an old fashioned straight away. Uh, I'm not talking about a pina colada, I'm talking about an old fashioned undergrowny. So yeah, let, me okay. just, let me try and find that before just start getting judged. We'll caveat that, yeah, before the comments come flying in. <laughs> and yeah, listen, exactly. Glenn, my final question to you, my final question. Yeah. Um, you've cooked for a lot of people over the years. You've had so many highlights in your career, no doubt you could list off. But who would you love to cook for that you haven't yet, past or present? Oh, I would probably like to have cooked for either Anton Maria Karen. Uh, yeah, who's yeah. Uh, a, a French chef, or past the present. Uh, well, I've cooked for the Queen. I've cooked for the most of the royal family. Uh, well, I tell you what, Glenn, I tell you what. In this yeah. jubilee year, just quickly run us yeah. through what you cook for Her Majesty. Uh, oh, that was oh no, mate. I made like a picnic basket for her, so I did um, truffled egg mayonnaise sandwiches. Perfect. I'm sure she. I'm sure she loves it. You weren't, you weren't there on the picnic rug watching her scoff it down, though. No. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was. I was standing nearby with a napkin, but I just. I didn't get completely invited. <laughs> they took the sandwiches off me and told me to go home. Uh, no, I, I did. I did meet her. I met Prince Charles. 
I cooked to him. Uh, when I, I, I introduced him, I was at the Crackfish menu, so he enjoyed Tom Kerridge's delicious duck. Uh, Kenny Atkinson's uh, mackerel and uh, enjoyed my company. So, Fabulous. I mean, what else, what else yeah. do you want on a dinner date? There you go. We want a career highlight <laughs> exactly. for you. Well, listen, thank you so yeah. much for your time. Good luck with everything in Birmingham. Good luck with Pernell's. Um, am I right in saying you've got a pub opening up very soon as well? Yeah, my pub has just opened. It's going for about three months. It's called The Mount in Henley and Arden. Uh, okay. So that's going really well as well. So great stuff. Brilliant. Glenn, thank you so much for your time. Glenn Pernell on the Eat Game podcast. Cheers, Glenn. Cheers, Tom. Thank you. Bye. So next week on the podcast, I speak to former head chef at the River Cottage, Tim Adams. We're constantly doing a million and one different other things. It, this is kind of part of the reason I think that processed food has become so insidious in our food society. We think we don't have the time to cook. Trust me, stop, put everything down, grab a few ingredients and a few pheasant breasts and you can rustle up something in half an hour. Chef. Food writer, podcaster Tim Adams then will be with us next week. Thanks so much for listening. The Eat Game podcast is a Media Cage production. Uh, do subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And remember, every Monday for the next few weeks, we'll bring you a different conversation from one of the country's best love chefs. We'll see you then. Hold up. 